not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. And if you've heard me preach, I talk about this all the time. Because the focus for us is on Jesus. Jesus is the light bearer. We are the light reflectors. Don't try and let this little light of mine that you're going to make it shine on your own. That's an exercise in futility. You guys know what it's like, right? You try and be that good, bright, shining person, and it lasts for about three seconds, right? Reflecting light results in so many different hues. As you look at the world around you, there are so many unique variations of color. Pastor Daniel uses this illustration today as he speaks about believers reflecting the light of Jesus. He is reflected in each of us, through us, in a beautiful hue. You'll be challenged today to surrender to Him because as He works through you like a golden lampstand, His pure light will illuminate the world around you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel as he continues his message entitled, Construction. So righteous, and you are so not that, and you can never be that, that I'm going to send myself, my own son, to die on a cross for you, to do what you could never do. I'm going to live the life you could never live. I'm going to die the death that you deserved. And I'm going to conquer death because you have a death curse on you. And all you have to do is say thank you. And listen, when you lay it out in that way, it's a no-brainer, right? It's like, yeah. Because if there is a true and living God who is perfect, and we all realize that we're not, we have a major problem. And that's why the gospel is so important. The fact that God loved the world so much that he would become a man and live the perfect life and die, that's the message that we have. That's the message that we have. And what's interesting is the gospel message that God accepts you as you are, knowing that you're flawed but loving you still. That's the greatest love in the world, isn't it? A love that says, look, you are flawed, but I still love you because I'm loving. And you don't have to earn my love. You just get it because that's who I am. You know, it reminds me of my grandmother. I love my grandma. She's a good lady. But if you want to sit at my grandma's table, you got to wash your hands before you dig into the pasta. She loves you, but she's like, you can't get sit at my table without washing your hands. And that's the way God is. God's like, look, I want you at my table. You just need to be cleansed. In order to sit at my table, you need to be cleansed. And the cleansing is through faith and trust in Jesus, my son. It's not because my grandma's unloving. She just isn't going to have a mess at her table. And the same thing with the Lord. Two can't walk together unless they be agreed. If someone's heading to Seattle and someone is heading to San Francisco, you just can't go together. You can't. You have to be on the same page. And in order for a flawed people to come into the presence of a holy God, either God needs to be made flawed or we need to be made holy. And God can't be God and be flawed. So we have to be made holy. And that is through the finished work of Jesus. And if you are here and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it before the night's over. And listen, if you're not a Christian, you should be. You want to be. Because God will not be flawed for you, but he will make you holy if you trust in him.
That's the gospel message. And if you're not here in the sanctuary, you're listening in another venue or you're listening online, you can get right with God right where you are. You don't need to be in a church to do it. You just need to say, Lord, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I want to learn how to follow him and walk with him. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have immediate access to the presence of God. You get to come boldly into the Holy of Holies at every single moment because of who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what all this is about. That's what all this tabernacle stuff, this is what it's about. It's the forerunner, the precursor to God's ultimate work of forgiveness and tabernacling amongst us. Now, in chapter 37 now, we start getting, because now we have the big tabernacle structure, we have the tent. Now we get all the furniture. Remember when we did this, we talked about God's custom furniture. God knows exactly what he wants. So look at what happens. In verse 1 of Exodus chapter 37, it says, Then Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold all around it. Verse 3. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Verse 5. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to bear the ark. He also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length. And a cubit and a half was its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat. One cherubim was at one end on this side and the other cherub at the other end on the other side. He made the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another and the faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. Now, all of this is in fulfillment of Exodus chapter 25, verses 10 to 22. Now, remember, for you visual learners, there it is. Pretty decent rendition. Notice, it's a box. It's a box. There's these two poles. These two poles, remember, this is meant to be mobile, so every time they moved, they needed to be able to roll with it. Notice the, the mercy seat, the atonement cover. And then the two cherubim or the angels with their, made of one piece with their wings touching. Now remember, I made this point. This gets placed behind the veil in the Holy of Holies. And everything in the Holy of Holies is meant to be pure gold. Remember I made the point that from the Holy of Holies, which is where the action is at, as it moves out, it goes from the most precious materials of gold. And then as it goes out, then it becomes silver. And then once you get in the outer courts, it becomes bronze. Remember, I made the point that things are more precious in the presence of God. When you spend time in the presence of God, things are more precious. For those people who walk closely with the Lord, those times of suffering and trial become more precious. When you're on the outside, you're like, I just can't believe this is happening to me. Get rid of this. But when you're really close to the Lord, you're like, Lord, I don't like this, but I know you're doing a glorious work in me. And so suffering becomes precious when you're in the presence of God. And so this Ark of the Covenant, all, it's all gold, the whole thing, which was the most precious material there. Now, it's interesting also that we find out that Bezalel made the Ark. 
That was never mentioned before, but that's what we get, that Bezalel made this Ark of the Covenant. And again, that high priest would bring a blood sacrifice, a blood offering, and, and cover it and put it on top of the Ark. We'd put it on top of that, of that mercy seat, that covering. Now, does anybody remember what goes in to that box ultimately? The two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, a jar of God's manna that he rained down daily, six days, for the children of Israel to eat, and ultimately Aaron's budded rod, which we're going to get to in the book of Numbers. Remember, there was kind of a rebellion against Aaron and Moses' leadership once again, and God said, look, I want you to take your walking stick, I want you to put it into the tabernacle, and which everyone buds overnight, because remember, walking stick is wood. So imagine if your wood started sprouting out leaves, which everyone budded overnight, that is my chosen one. So think about the symbolism. God's law gets put into the ark. The manna from heaven, the bread gets put in there. And God's choosing of the high priest. And guess what? All of those are perfect pictures of Jesus, aren't they? Only Jesus kept God's law perfectly. It was in his heart, in his motivations. We all not there, Jesus, absolutely. Jesus said, I'm the bread. I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread from heaven. If you eat of me, you will never hunger or thirst again. Jesus is saying, I am the pure satisfaction. I am the heavenly manna. And then people all the time say, I will not have Jesus to be my God. I want to be my own God. Or I want Buddha to be my God. Or I want Muhammad to be my God. Or whoever. Jesus was God's chosen one. If all the great teachers and spiritual leaders of the world, as it were, would be able to put their their staffs, their walking sticks in the tabernacle, Jesus's would have budded. That's what it means. And all of that is in that Ark of the Covenant. So now, from there, look what happens in verse 10. It says, He made the table of acacia wood, two cubits was its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold all around it. And he made a frame of a handbreadth all around it and made a molding of gold for the frame all around it. And he cast for it four wings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that were at its four legs. The rings were close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. Verse 16 says, He made of pure gold the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. Now, this is an exact fulfillment of Exodus chapter 25, verses 23 to 30. And this is called the table of showbread. Look at the picture. There it is. Table of showbread. This was symbolic or emblematic of that covenant meal that people would have. We find them all through the Bible. When people would make agreements, there would be a covenant meal that they would share together. And that meal said, we are parties together of this covenant. And so every single day, there were these loaves of bread that were placed on the table of showbread that were before. Now, this is not in the holy place. It's just outside. And it's symbolic, of course, of the reality that God has made a covenant that they ratified together and that they are in fellowship with one another. If you think about it in the simplest terms, you only ever invite your friends over for a meal, right? 
anybody ever invite your mortal enemy over for dinner? Except if you're going to poison them. But I wouldn't recommend that. But most often, the only people you share a meal with are people who you care about. Right? And so that's what this is symbolic of. And of course, because everything ends up pointing to Jesus, Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Sitting right there in the holy place of the tabernacle for every generation. Now, notice what happens next in verse 17. It says this, He also made the lampstand of pure gold, of hammered work. He made the lampstand, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were of the same piece. And six branches came out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, and three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. There were three bowls made like almond blossoms on one branch with an ornamental knob and a flower, and three bowls made like almond blossoms on the other branch with an ornamental knob and a flower. And so for the six branches coming out of the lampstand. And on the lampstand itself were four bowls made like almond blossoms, verse 20, each with its ornamental knobs and a flower. There was a knob under the first two branches of the same, a knob under the second two branches of the same, a knob under the third two branches of the same, according to the six branches extending from it. Their knobs and their branches were of one piece, all of it were one hammered piece of gold, and he made its seven lamps, its wick trimmers, and its trays of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold, he made it with all its utensils. Now, again, this is in fulfillment to Exodus chapter 25. We know it most commonly as the menorah, right? Now, why do we know it as the menorah? Because if you think about the festival of Hanukkah, which happens right around the time in the winter of Christmas, that festival is meant to commemorate the cleansing of the temple that happened in what we call the intertestamental period. So the story goes, it's not in your Bible, although the prophet Daniel makes reference to it, but in the books 1st, 2nd, and 3rd Maccabees, you find that there was a Greek ruler who came named Antiochus Epiphanes. That was what he called himself. He was pretty up on himself. But he desecrated the Jewish temple, right? And he desecrated by, by slaughtering a pig and smearing pig's blood all over the temple, right? And so what happened was, is once the Maccabean brothers came and ousted Antiochus Epiphanes, they needed to cleanse the temple. And what happened was, is they only had enough oil for one night, but it lasted for seven nights. God provided miraculously because it took seven days for them to be able to create new oil to keep the lampstands burning. And so we see the menorah during that Christmas time for people who are Jewish because each night they light a candle in commemoration of God's provision of one night's worth of oil lasting seven nights so they can purify a new batch to keep the light going in the tabernacle. So we are used to seeing this. Now what's interesting, of course, about the lampstand is the lampstand is the absolutely only light in the entire tabernacle. There's only one light, and don't think that's by chance, because Jesus is what? He's the light of the world. And when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then of course he told his disciples what? You are the light of the world. So it's fascinating. We are the body of Christ, but Jesus is the true light. Jesus is the sun, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N. And if you've heard me preach, I talk about this all the time. Because the focus for us is on Jesus. Jesus is the light bearer. We are the light reflectors. 
Don't try and let this little light of mine that you're going to make it shine on your own. That's an exercise in futility. You guys know what it's like, right? You try and be that good, bright shining person, and it lasts for about three seconds, right? Until someone cuts you off in the car, if you're a road rager. Or if someone, if you're a biker and somebody doesn't let you go first because you deserve precedence because you're exercising. Or whatever. When you try and do it on your own, we all fail. But when we simply say, Lord, I surrender myself to you, I embrace your will for this moment of my life, and we reflect his light just like the moon reflects the sun. The lampstand, that golden lampstand, is the absolute only piece of light in the entire tabernacle. And truly, Jesus is the only true light in the world. At best, we reflect his light, all of us. We want to reflect the light of God in the world. And when you choose to do God, live God's life God's way, God can use you to reflect his pure light. I know what's beautiful about the light, and we'll get, well, when we get to the end of the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, God is the light. And what's interesting is that there's all these different stones that reflect the light through. And the beauty is all those different stones as they reflect the light all have different hues. And I love that. Because the way God's light looks coming through you and you and you and each one of you has its own hue to it. Because we're all unique and God likes us that way. No two people are alike in the kingdom of God. And so we all need to say, Lord, I just want to reflect your light through me. And what happens is oftentimes we get insecure and we're worried about how God's reflecting someone else's light. When we should just be like, Lord, who have you made me to be? How do you want to use me? And it's okay. Listen, some of our reflections, and I think I'm one of them, it's kind of got a funky color to it. But it's always better just to embrace that. Be like, look, I'm a little, you know? Yeah, so you're nice royal blue. I'm like a little funky fuchsia, salmon-y, weird thing, you know? Or whatever. I mean, I don't really like fuchsia, but some of you do, and that's cool. No, no worries. However God wants to reflect his light through you, let it be that way. Some of you are hardcore Pioneer missionaries, and some of you are like, man, we just need to reach people right here. And some of you are like, I just want to love on babies. Other people, I just love hanging out with people who are in that last stage of their life. And hey, I feel called to pastor and preach. I feel called to be a musician. I feel called to roll up my sleeves and be an usher. I feel I'm a great builder. I build to the glory of God. The key is not to try and be like everyone else. Like, Lord, what have you given me? What, where do my giftings and passion meet? And Lord, I just want to use that for your glory. And if all of us as the body of Christ hit that sweet spot where we're like, Lord, I just want to reflect your light just the way I am. Then the body works perfectly. But what happens is, is sometimes the pioneer missionaries say, oh yeah, we're better than you, you know, materialistic American people. They start looking down on each other. Or people say, I don't understand why we're trying to go across the world because we got unsaved people. No, everyone just needs to do what God's called them to do. And it all works perfectly. Make sense? God wants to reflect his light uniquely through each one of us. We just have to be willing to simply respond to Jesus. Say, Lord, just reflect it through me. And whatever it looks like, as long as you're happy, I'm happy. It doesn't matter how I stack up next to somebody else or something else. So that is the golden lampstand, because Jesus is the light of the world. Now look at verse 25. He made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit, and it's with a cubit. It was square, and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it, and he overlaid it with pure gold at its top, its sides all around, and its horns. He also made for it a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its molding, 
by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles with which to bear it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. Now, this is the third piece of furniture that is in the holy place. We've already seen the table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and then finally the altar of incense. We looked at this at Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 to 6. The altar of incense. Like all the other things, it's made of pure gold. Notice the horns of the altar. Horns in that culture was a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of strength because ox were strong, they had horns. It was a very symbolic picture. Of course, and we've been talking about this, incense in the Bible is a type of intercession or prayer. It's a sweet-smelling fragrance to God. It pops up in the Psalms. Let my prayers be set before you as incense and the lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. In the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and other places, we find that God keeps the prayers of his saints in golden bowls as incense before his altar. What that means, of course, is that when we pray, God likes it. Incense is a picture of a sweet smell, something that is preferable. And especially before we lived in a day and age of all sorts of antiseptic sprays and all these things, incense really good. It makes things smell nice. And of course, because everything points to Jesus, the reason there is an altar of incense in the holy place is because Jesus ever lives to make intercession for you and I. Jesus, as the great high priest, is constantly pleading our case to the Almighty God. Every time we mess up, God says, that's my kid. I've taken care of them. That's his role as a mediator, as a priest. He's constantly making intercession for us. And that is why the three pieces of furniture inside the holy place is that golden lampstand, because Jesus is the light of the world, the table of showbread, because Jesus is the bread of life, and the altar of incense, because Jesus is the great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for you and I. And then the final verse here in this chapter where we'll close, it says in verse 29, he also made the holy anointing oil and the pure incense of sweet spices according to the work of the perfumer. Now, we read about the special anointing oil in Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 25. And then, of course, the fragrant incense in Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 to 36. And we discuss this. So this last verse just simply tells us because we have all these things in here, all we have left is we need that incense and we need that holy anointing oil. And so this closes out with all the things. We have the tent now. They've made that. They've made the Ark of the Covenant. They've made the screen or the, the veil that, that breaks the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And then you have the three pieces of furniture. And by the end of verse 29, you have all the different things that are needed to worship in there. As we look at chapters 38 and 39, we're going to get all of the things that go outside in the court, not only the outer fencing area, but all the pieces of furniture. And of course, in, in 39, we're going to find that they made all of the all of the fashion for the priests. I love that, that God didn't want the priests to look lame, so he got them all gooned up for his glory. Jesus is The anointing oil, the lampstand, the incense, all were elements of the tabernacle that pointed to Jesus. Even the table of showbread fulfilled a covenant God made with the people. 
each component a revelation to us about who the Savior is, the bread of life. It's our joy to bring you Jesus is Real Radio each day here on this station. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us here at Jesus is Real Radio so we can bring the ministry to as many people as possible. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. There you can help spread God's Word by becoming a monthly supporter or by giving a one-time gift. For most of us, our smartphone is an extension of our body. They are constantly ringing and dinging, telling us what to do and where to go next. We want to encourage you to subscribe to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Each week, the programs right here on the radio are available in podcast format. So if you miss one of the broadcasts, you can always catch up by subscribing to the Jesus Is Real podcast. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share about the final construction of the tabernacle. Some of the facets were built using unusual objects that bring even deeper meaning to this beautiful, holy place. There's more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled Tabernacle. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio. Oh,